Hey, everybody. Uh, Tim Graham here with just a quick announcement before uh, this episode of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants, uh, an update. Uh, within about three minutes of us concluding uh, this podcast, the Bills traded uh, defensive end Bam Johnson to the Carolina Panthers for a sixth round pick. So my apologies that uh, you will have some defensive line analysis that includes Johnson as still a potential member of this team, but you will hear Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic discuss trades may be necessary. So please keep that in mind when you get to that portion of the podcast. Hope you enjoy it. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein, New Bronstein Times, and Matthew Fairburn. He covers the bills for The Athletic, and uh, football season is here, and it's not just preseason because we can talk about college football. Those real games have begun, and uh, we'll talk a little bit later in the show about the University at Buffalo opening its season Thursday night at home. Uh, so it's right here, even though we have to wait uh, a little extra uh, than we normally do for the NFL regular season to begin. Two weeks now in between the last preseason game and the season opener. Um, it's also roster cut down week, and some of the cuts are trickling out. They haven't been big yet, but the deadline is Tuesday. Um, wanted to talk to you guys about a, just a couple of positions that we need to highlight, I think. And um, I'll keep offense all together. So let's start on defense. Um, defensive end or defensive line, I should say, not just defensive end, but defensive line. Matthew, I know that you and Joe Biscalia uh, at The Athletic have uh, been pouring over your roster projections and whether or not your thoughts have changed too much since Saturday, I'm guessing they haven't. We haven't learned too much. There weren't any major injuries or anything. But where do you see this Bills defensive front uh, shaking out when it comes to the depth chart? I think it's probably the most complicated position on the roster that they have to figure out. That Most of the summer, the roster projection wasn't too much of a – a puzzle like it was, you know, a few years ago when they had so many new pieces and you were trying to figure out, you know, who would make the team. They had a, they brought such a good core back that, you know, there was a handful of spots up for grabs. But I think the biggest, you know, trickiest position for them is defensive line because, kind of like the offensive line a few years ago, you remember when the the summer they traded Wyatt Teller 
when they just threw a lot at the wall to see what would stick. And then, you know, they had some assets to trade around cutdown time. This feels very similar. Like, I think they have 12 defensive linemen that they could keep. But that's a lot of defensive linemen to keep on a roster. I mean, that is, uh, you know, a fifth of your of your team, basically. So they might be in a spot where they can make a trade. They also have some, you know, minor complications that could pop up in, in terms of the numbers game. I'd say Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, AJ Epinesa are all safe at defensive end. That's five. You have Star Latulale, Vernon Butler, Harrison Phillips, Justin Zimmer, Ed Oliver gets you to 10. And then F.A. Obata and Daryl Johnson, those are the 12 that were kind of lumped in there. You've got Harrison Phillips is injured, so they'd probably like to keep him on the 53 and then move him to injured reserve. But you have to keep him on that initial 53 to get him onto short-term injured reserve. You have at least two defensive tackles. And that means you'd have to expose somebody that you want to keep. Right. You'll have to cut maybe one of those cornerbacks or cut a quarterback if they're – maybe they want three. I don't envision that being the scenario, but they'll have to – make it work somewhere else. But you've got at least two defensive tackles who are unvaccinated uh, in Star Latula and Vernon Butler because they were pulled out of practice last week. So maybe you want extra depth to account for those guys. You ha- I don't think they're cutting Jerry Hughes or Mario Addison. They're not going to cut anybody that they drafted in the top two rounds in the last two years, which would include Rousseau, Basham, and Epinesa. So I think Obata and Daryl Johnson are the two that stand out. Obata had a great summer. He was great in practice. He looked great in preseason games. Maybe they can work on a trade there and find, you know, get a draft pick for this guy. Maybe they could do the same for Daryl Johnson, who's one of their special teams aces and really answered the call. Like entering the summer, I thought there was no way this, this guy could make it just because of the numbers game, but he played well enough to make some team. So, you know, maybe there's a trade to be had there. I just find it to be the, the toughest position to call because they're not going to simply cut down to a number, I don't think. I think they're going to find a way to get something for one of these players, and they just have to make sure they pick the right one. Where are we with versatility, though? some flexibility that can be had, guys who can maybe play some defensive end and move inside. Now, of course, that's that's hard to do. They don't have a lot of that flexibility, but how does that play in, I think, to uh, the projection? Yeah, they have a little bit of that. FAO, that's part of why I think getting rid of F.A. Obata is such a hard call because you can trim at defensive tackle, keep Obata, and you have depth at defensive tackle with a guy who can play both spots. Boogie Basham can do it as well, but he really had a tough time staying at the top of the depth chart throughout the summer. I don't see him as a guy that they want in there for a ton of snaps early on in his rookie season, at least given the way that they kind of kept him a little bit buried throughout the preseason and training camp. Epinesa can do it a little bit, but not enough that you're super comfortable with it after the way that he's kind of trimmed down. Uh, just not probably the ideal role for him. Rousseau could do it a little bit, but not a great spot for him. Addison can do it. And with so many of the guys that can do it, and with the NFL being such a passing league, 
you do wonder how many defensive tackles do they need to keep? You know, Justin Zimmer has played so well in the summer. Do you need to keep Justin Zimmer? Do you need, but the problem that they're running into, I think at defensive tackle, when initially I would have thought, Hey, keep three of them and load up on these defensive ends who can move all over the place, get creative with, you know, different, you know, substitution packages. Like I mentioned, Latule and Butler being unvaccinated and Harrison Phillips being injured, I think both make it a little bit complicated. You need a little bit more depth there because of things that can pop up. It's, it's interesting to see how even the Packers uh, handle their defensive tackles uh, heading into the game on Saturday. Uh, I believe they had only four, maybe there was a fifth, but only four or five on their entire team with cuts still to go. And two of them were in the game and guys who are considered maybe fringe players to make that roster. We're talking about rookies. One of them was a fifth round pick. I think the other one was undrafted, but you're right in this passing league, those defensive tackles, uh, you need them when you need them, you know, you need them in goal line situations. You need them on third and inches. You need them you know, here and there. Obviously the bills need guys up front who can stop the run. We saw it time and again, last season, if you're worried about anything, uh, that's uh, that's at the top of the list. Uh, but, yeah, how much money can you spend? How much roster space can you dedicate to a position that we all know is uh, is geared to stop something that the NFL doesn't do anymore? Yeah, it's part of the way they've built this defensive line, too. We saw in a couple of preseason games certain looks where they had four guys who are technically listed as defensive ends on the field. And that's because Basham and Obata can play defensive tackle and rush the passer well from that spot. And I don't know how all in they want to go on that. They have to keep star because of his contract. They're locked into that outside of that. They could save a little bit of money cutting Vernon Butler and you know, who knows, maybe they would, but with Harrison Phillips getting injured, he seemed to play his way onto the roster. He was the guy entering camp. I thought could be that surprise cut, you know, that name that people weren't expecting still possible, but he's injured. So I think, you know, the way he was playing before he got injured will help him out and it might save Vernon Butler's job. Justin Zimmer, they seem to love played well in practices, the whole thing. I'm curious about him. He was on the field awful late on Saturday. He sure was. He was on the field at the very end of the game, but part of it was numbers, right? You know, Harrison Phillips being hurt and, you know, same as, you know, with the Packers only having a few, it's like somebody's got to play. But I do wonder about him, you know, as much as they like him, as positively as, as they've spoken about him, he bounced around the league for a while before finding his way back to Buffalo and, you know, he's earned earned his way here, but with such a deep defensive line room, you wonder if, if he needs to be on your team. He's also maybe earned his wave, his, his waiver, uh, because you like you say, and you make a great uh, reference there. He's been around people. If you really wanted Justin Zimmer, you could have had him by now. Uh, and yes, maybe he's put some things on tape, but you, you guys, a guy who's got mileage like that. Um, I think maybe Brandon Bean can say, I think he's going to slide through waivers and we can bring him back and uh, we're not going to have to risk losing this guy. 
right, bring him back after you put Harrison Phelps on injured reserve. If right. that's the way you want to do it. And if you Jonah, you him, were going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't want to get too far away before uh, you were going to mention. Well, I wanted to ask Matt his thoughts on the logic of maybe cutting or trading Mario Addison and even Jerry Hughes in this context of their older players. And do you prioritize a younger prospect when you're deciding who to move on from and who to keep? I think it's possible. I'm Jerry Hughes, I think is safe. He's still their best pass rusher, but I don't think he's as, you know, he used to be by far their best pass rusher, even six months ago, the last time they stepped on the field. I don't think it's as dramatic right now. Addison, I do think there's more of a case for moving on from him. You know, he restructured his contract and, you know, helped the team out a little bit there. So he's entering the final year of his deal anyways, but I'm not sure that they totally expected Greg Rousseau to be as good as he was during the summer. Uh, It would have been, it wouldn't have been sound roster planning to bank on that guy being as good as he was in camp in the preseason, especially after he didn't play last year. And so him being so good, that's where you could look at Obata or you could look at, uh, you know, Mario Addison and say, you know what, as much as we wanted you to, show this guy the way he seems to have a pretty good grasp of it. Uh, right now on his own, same with Epinesa for, for finding a way to that might solve one of their numbers problems and, you know, free up a little bit of money for them. Let's flip over to uh, the offensive side and touch on uh, what's always a sexy discussion quarterback, obviously, Nothing to worry about with the starter. Uh, he's uh, MVP candidate and looked really good, even though he was against the Packers junior varsity on Saturday. Uh, so I think Bills fans can be happy that Josh Allen uh, got into a rhythm, went through all those things that Sean McDermott likes to talk about, you know, getting dressed before the game, which is a skill apparently, something you got to practice. Uh, going out there for warm-ups, getting mentally ready for a game, working the play clock, timeouts, uh, running the huddle, getting the play call from Brian Dable in the headset and executing plays uh, and getting uh, getting into a rhythm. I'll just keep using that phrase again. Um, Mitchell Trubisky is interesting. There's still a lot of fans out there uh, that would like to trade him for some kind of asset because, hell, everybody thinks Josh Allen's just going to take every snap. Uh, but also what's happening at uh, the third spot, if there is a third spot and who it should be in the, in the event that there is a third quarterback kept on the roster. So um, I disagree, obviously, with Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, my laughter may have uh, suggested uh, keep him. He's a hell of an insurance policy for a quarterback who runs and who has missed time here and there because of an injury or even coming out of a game. Sean McDermott is pretty, I, I don't know that I've ever noticed that before. I'm guessing Sean McDermott's not the first coach to do it, but sending Mitchell Trubisky out on the field for a play uh, in the third quarter, I'd never noticed that before, but that really speaks to how much he wants to prepare of just turning and saying, Mitchell, get in there. Cause that's how it works with a backup quarterback. Make sure that the guy's paying attention, um, get out there, run a play in a, within the, within the play clock, uh, all that stuff. Anyways. I'm it doesn't make you roll your eyes a little bit, though, that like that that's gotten so much attention and everybody's like saying, oh, you're so smart for doing that. Well, 
hey, look, there are coaches and McDermott's one of them who practice the national anthem. Like, how are we going to line up during the national anthem? Uh, how are we going to do our warm up? You know, what how, what are how we're going to line up when we do uh, drills and all this stuff? They practice so that way, it's one less thing to have to think about on game day. So, yes, does it make me roll my eyes? Sure, it's overkill. Um, practicing victory formation probably overkill, um, but. It doesn't waste any time. It didn't waste anything. So yeah, I don't have a problem with them doing it. I think it's 12 or 15 beat writers doing a, you know, analysis of why they did it. That made me roll my eyes. Well, okay. Well, I'll give you that, but here's, and I guess in their defense, uh, if there is a defense, but in their defense, we didn't have a lot to write about after the game or in terms of our material. We all got the same guys after the game because of COVID restrictions and things like that. We got, what, five guys? Only one of them was a defensive player. I wish we got um, five guys for I have the a take press box that. meal. But we only got five guys. But, yes, we <laughs> right. got the five yeah, same that's, guys. That's a good one. <laughs> we got McDermott. We got Allen. We got a running back, a receiver, and a safety. And we all – and, and uh, Zach Moss broke for – We got Jake Oh, Fromm. and Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm. That's right. So, six. We got Zach Moss because we ran out of questions, spoke for two and a half or three minutes. Um, it was hard to actually interview Josh Allen because Micah Hyde's sitting right there and he's getting questions and it's going back and forth. So it's hard to actually get a flow or to get some, you know, um, you know, get some anecdotes and things like that. Um, Deion Dawkins and Emmanuel Sanders on this on the stage together makes it hard. So I think that trying to cover a game. Like the NBA. And, and you got two weeks until the next game, until the till the regular season game. I think, yeah, there are writers who are like, well, we have to write about this because it's it's the material we have. Right. It's everybody writing the same thing. So you guys are all in the same room, writing the same story, getting the same quotes. And, you know, as you say, it didn't go as smoothly as you wanted it to. And then Buffalo, Bennett, Brad, Isaiah McDuffie's in the opposite press room and nobody's in there. Nobody cared. Everybody had to write about Mitchell Trubisky's one snap and, all that kind of stuff. And uh, just, well, this, okay. So we can have this discussion. Um, Cause I was thinking about this earlier today um, at the athletic. Obviously we get to look at our analytics somewhat, you know, we get to have an idea of what people are reading, what people care about. Had I written a story about Isaiah McKenzie, even though I have a lot of Buffalo readers, it would have proven to be probably a waste of time. Um, which, I'm yeah. sorry, Isaiah McDuff. Isaiah Perhaps. McDuff. I, I mean, not Isaiah. I guess. Okay, go on, go on. So you, okay, so I understand. So if you're the Buffalo News, uh, you should do an Isaiah McDuffie story because that's what you're supposed to do. But I'll bet you their analytics are really similar in that sure. but people, I mean, people will read the Mitchell Trubisky story 10 times more often than they'll read the Isaiah McDuffie story. And it's the same reason why, you know, the, the Buffalo News is cutting back on its high school coverage and, and has been and continues to do so. It's because it it doesn't it doesn't bring in the clicks. Sure. That's a much longer discussion about whether we should all be slaves to the analytic and the clicks and the analytic measures change all the time. And there's different schools of thought as to what analytics you should be looking at, and what really is important and what drives subscriptions and what drives readership and trust from your readership. And. There's a lot of things that should be covered that don't get a lot of clicks, especially outside of sports with local government and things like that. I think when you're talking about the third preseason game, when there weren't a lot of intriguing Bill storylines, a local player coming, starting the game, 
playing as well as he did with 40 plus family members in attendance. And there's a lot you can tell about his family, that whole story. He's got a lot of his father and uncles and a cousin that currently plays for UB. I think, and I don't really expect you at the athletic to be in there doing writing that story, but I was pretty surprised that there weren't any other local reporters in there trying to talk to him. And, and I know some people mentioned it and did their stories, but I'm just saying, if, if you guys were getting squeezed out and don't think you got what you wanted out of the press room over on the bill side, I mean, you know, Isaiah McDuffie was standing up there waiting for more questions. There weren't enough reporters in there. There was only one traveling writer from Green Bay and, and uh, I think a broadcast reporter in there with me. And, you know, that was about it. Well, I'll be honest. If I were to ask Isaiah McDuffie a question on Saturday, it would have been, what was it like to get lit up by Josh Allen? Well, more so that, than hey, what's it like to come back here and play? That's a Josh Allen story that nobody right. else has. That's right. That's true. And um, somebody did ask him about that. He had a quote on playing Josh Allen. Right. Well, no, I, I think I, the, I can... the angle there, I think, would have been all these family members in attendance. There was a there would be an opportunity to tell a cool story about what it's like to be a sixth round pick on the bubble in your hometown. Like your final audition also gets to come in your home stadium. Um, it would have required more prep work probably than uh just jumping into the press conference after the game. But yeah, unfortunately, more people would care about Mitchell Trubisky probably. But ironically, a guy we mentioned earlier in the show, Justin Zimmer, I had did a sort of a story like that, you know, hung out with his mom and dad in maybe we were in Chicago, wherever we were. And, you know, in preparation for his final preseason game with the Bills that year being in Detroit, his hometown. And he had this huge, huge crew of people there cheering him on. Like, yeah, those are, you know, it's, it's interesting angles and interesting content. It's part of, I think too, a lot of people trying to figure out what the hell everything is going to look like after games. Right. I was, as that much was my, that was my deal. That was my first game since the playoff uh, in Houston. That's the first game I've attended. I didn't attend any of the games last year because there was no locker room access. There was no point. Um, so yeah, for me, it was all right. What's it going to be like? Um, I do have some strategies that I, I will uh, deploy, but I needed to at least see, um, and, and the other thing too, that makes it tough. If you're a reporter, when they're bringing select people into that room, into the, the, um, the news conference room, um, you're stuck there. You can't go look for some other things or poke your head into the Packers room, which is a totally at the opposite end of the tunnel. You're stuck there and you don't know when Sean McDermott's coming in or who, or who even is going to come in next. You don't know what the list is going to be. And yeah, it's tough. So no, I get your point, Jonah. I, I and I have I have my thoughts that I don't want to share on here, um, because I, I have some ideas of how I'm going to cover games, uh, and I don't want to tell everybody. But um, fair, fair, all fair. I thought the Where, crowd was a big story the other day. First big crowd of the year. You know who. I guess we could talk more about vaccination levels when we get to talking about Bills players, but how, what was the vaccination rate of the crowd on kids' day with a lot of kids that aren't even eligible to get vaccinated and whether that was an issue or not, mask wearing and bringing – I mean, has there been 
50, 60,000 people together in one place anywhere in Western New York in the last year and a half. You know, I was thinking about that, um, especially I'm on the field before the game doing the pregame show for Channel 4 and seeing what has become a popular trend and it's really cool. I like it. But seeing players that go around the lower ring and play catch with the fans throwing a football in there, throwing it back. Now, I'm the, I don't know the science on whether or not the virus can survive on a, on a Duke-Wilson football uh, while it's being while it's traveling it can survive three miles an hour through football, the air. But and not in, a Duke. In the 90-degree heat. What's that? It's not the it, NFL football isn't a Duke or it is? No, I'm saying it can survive on every other football. But oh, not but not Duke. on a Duke. I see. Um, yes, and then, all right, so – it's not as though the football's dripping with DNA or, uh, or, or what have you. But how about this? After the game, watching these players fight to peel off their gloves that are soaked in sweat. They've been, like, wiping their schnoz or whatever blood they got, you know, that they're getting, whatever, and tossing them right in there. And these kids, you know, catching them with their, you know, because they, you know, hell, catching them with their face, some of them. Uh, they're just guys slinging towels, slinging hats, slinging whatever up into the stands. Um, and there's no game day testing, correct? That's right. And it was the and first. some of these kids are unvaccinated. You're right. And it's kids because you the, the, the default setting is as your parent, maybe you're not even thinking of it. You know, let's go down to the tunnel. Let's see if we, you know, we can interact with these players. You know, they can get a high five or, um, you know, tell so-and-so that you think he's the greatest. Kids are and, um, their hands in their mouth all the time. And there was a guy who had a cheese head and he kept throwing the cheese head into the tunnel at Packers players before the game in hopes that they would sign it and throw it back. So is this guy wearing this cheese head and he's throwing it at the players and then they pick it up. They all picked it up and threw it back. Or most of them did not, not, I don't know if any of them signed it, but yeah, I mean, there's there. Yeah. It was the first time in a while um, that I've actually like been, you know, because since the vaccine, you know, since I've been vaccinated and, you know, things had opened up in the summer, it was pretty easy to get back to normal. I thought, you know, I, I wondered whether I'd be like still a little skittish after so much time, um, you know, practicing social distancing and everything. But in the tunnel after the game, I was like, you know, with the variant going around and everything, I was like, maybe I had to toss this mask on here, even though we're outside, like, because there's a lot of people coming through there at once, uh, knowing the vaccination rates. Puffing and puffing. Are, yeah, you know, it's that's just other, like breathing heavy. Yeah, it's a lot of, um, yeah, guys tossing stuff, guys, you know, whatever restrictions the NFL has in place, the, the lines are being blurred a little bit when it comes to fan interaction. Uh, guys interacting with one another a little bit more um, entering into a very weird in between season, I think for the NFL where, you know, as far as protocols and, you know, what, what all is going on, at least last year, it was very cut and dry. You know, everybody had the same rules. Everybody was in the same boat. Now it's a little bit different. And, you know, I, I thought being down in there in the mix for the first time in a while, it was like, Oh yeah. Like this is still, this is still a thing. And a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people treating it like it's not. And, you know, it is what it is at this point. Well, it's an opportunity for us to merge our two topics that we've had here so far that we've, that we've kind of rolled through here. Um, 
we were talking about cuts earlier and we stopped, we got the quarterback and we didn't uh, really make it all the way through. We turned into a journalism discussion that turned into a COVID discussion. Uh, let's get back to the cuts and the COVID discussion. What's going to happen at wide receiver and should things uh, regard, should vaccinations regardless of whether Sean McDermott refuses to acknowledge that it could be an issue in terms of cuts or who to keep or whether or not you have to keep extra. Uh, Sean McDermott repeatedly said at the news conference last week um, before the game that vaccinations will not play a role in the team's decision to cut somebody. Um, yeah, he might I don't know that I believe directly to saying lawyers, are you listening? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So where, where do you think things stand at the wide with, uh, with wide receivers, well, which is deep to begin with. And then you, but even, even without the COVID aspect of it, it's deep and there are tough decisions to be made. Yeah. And I believe him when he says the decisions won't be made based on vaccination status. And I think it's a somewhat easy thing to say because they're not going to cut Gabriel Davis or Cole Beasley. You know, those are important players on their wide receiver depth chart. They're favorite targets of Josh Allen. We saw Isaiah McKenzie after, you know, needling the league a little bit, decided to get vaccinated. He had played his way onto the roster anyways, but, you know, I'm sure they were happy to see that. I think it impacts the roster more from how deep you need to build it more so than, oh, we're going to cut this guy because he's not vaccinated. That very well may happen behind the scenes as a tiebreaker for what Brandon Bean said in his honest moment, right? You know, is like... And it's not about punishing the player for not being vaccinated. It's the whole idea that we need to be able to count on you to not be sent home from the facility for five days. Yeah, and you have a higher tolerance for dealing with that with a Cole Beasley or a Gabriel Davis than you do somebody at the bottom of the roster. You know, you need those guys available, ready to fill in for the Cole Beasleys and the Gabriel Davises when they get sent home, uh, assuming they don't change their vaccination status at any point. So, yeah, I wonder if you look at, you know, we don't know exactly who is vaccinated and who is not. We've gotten bits and pieces of that information as, as those guys were pulled out of practice last week. But I think you have to consider the fact that you'd want, if you have a room like wide receiver where you don't have as many players vaccinated, you might want an extra, an extra body in there in case you need to throw somebody in. I mentioned it with defensive line earlier as well. Linebacker. We saw Matt Milano and AJ Klein get pulled out as a precaution last week by the team. So those feel like spots without knowing the entire roster's vaccination status, those feel like spots where you would want maybe an extra player, or maybe when you build your practice squad, it's a little wide receiver, defensive tackle and linebacker heavy because of some key players at those positions who have chosen not to get vaccinated. That's where I think, it will all play in for them more so than saying you're not vaccinated, you're gone. Because at this point, the holdouts on the vaccination, a good chunk of them, almost all of them are guys who are going to make this team 
or, you know, have a very good chance. Some of them have big roles on this team in 2021. Well, it also fits well with a team that's probably going to play a lot of 10 personnel five wide and doesn't have great tight ends and really doesn't have much at fullback. It would be interesting if the Bills have to go in a game where they're very shorthanded at wide receiver for any reason, but let's say it's because of contact tracing and, and vaccination status and things like that. Can they shift to being a very run-heavy uh, type of offense? You know, Do they have the personnel to do that if they're very shorthanded at wide receiver or for whatever reason can't play that spread-out style that worked so well last year? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, they, they played more 10 personnel than every team other than the Arizona Cardinals last year. You add Emmanuel Sanders into the mix, having him, Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, and Stephon Diggs on the field at the same time obviously is, is a, a fun thing to think about for Bills fans. Throw Isaiah McKenzie into the mix, and you can go five wide at times. But, yeah, not only are injuries going to pop up because that happens – but it has to be a frustrating component of this for the Bills that what happened this week with Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis could happen again and again and again until they decide to get vaccinated or until the NFL changes those policies. So, yeah, I think they keep seven wide receivers. At least that's what I would do and then have a probably – a couple, at least two on the practice squad, even when you're a team that relies that much on your receivers, I think, you know, you want as many as possible. There's the, the top five of Diggs, Sanders, Beasley, Davis, and McKenzie, Jake Kumaro, I think has earned a spot and I'd keep Marquez Stevenson, you know, just because he put too much on tape in the preseason to risk letting it away. And then maybe you bring back Isaiah Hodgins on the practice squad or, you know, you know, I think Hodgins is probably your primary candidate there, but, you know, they, they signed Steven Sims last week. Maybe they can fit him on there somewhere. You might have to be deeper because of how you play and because of decisions that individuals have made in that position room. You just might have to account for that when you're stacking, stacking your board and, and choosing your 53. Are any of these receivers in that category that Andre Roberts was in last year where they could cut him? and bring them back two days later? Not the ones who would be in danger of getting cut. You know, I believe Kumaro would be still subject to waivers, and Stevenson, obviously, as a rookie, would still be subject to waivers. They have other players who they could do that with. They could do it with a Taiwan Jones, um, you know, a guy they like on special teams if they wanted to bring him back. Uh, there's somebody who's slipping my mind on defense that they can do it with as well. Um, maybe one of their corners or defensive linemen. They do have a few players that they can do that with, which is a nice wrinkle to have when you're trying to get Harrison Phillips on injured reserve, where you just say, look, we're going to cut you, but we're going to bring you right back. Uh, take one for the team here. Um, they have some of those options, just not, not at receiver. I don't believe. Related to the passing game, uh, I saw a lot of uh, angst from Bills fans. I guess I wouldn't say it's a high percentage of Bills fans, but when I say a lot, it's because there were just such a sheer volume of, of reactions based on uh, watching Josh Allen play for the first time since last year's uh, postseason and seeing him click so well uh, with, uh, within that offense. Um, past two games, 
of course, the Bills have not run the ball, uh, which to be expected with Brian Dable's offense. Uh, they didn't run until the 17th uh, snap Saturday against Green Bay, and I think it was two runs on the first 21, 23 plays uh, the week before uh, at Chicago. Um, but one thing I want to point out, if the Bills are going to run the ball more, which both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean said was going to be a priority heading into the offseason and preparing for 2021. The preseason isn't when you do it. Um, if the Bills have been cooking something up in terms of how they want to use their offense and how they're going to insert run plays, uh, you're going to see it in two weeks against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You don't need to put plays uh, or to give uh, advanced scouts a, a reason to take a look at how you're going to use Matt Breda, whether or not you prefer Singletary Moss, whatever, anything with your, with your run game. They I think the Bills that, game, the Bills. Matt Breda, which could be a, you know, if Isaiah McKenzie can't play, Matt Breda might, you know, take that role. Sure. Those are, and those are um, all NFL plays or timing plays, but that's a play that they might've wanted to get against a live defense. So yeah, maybe they're showing a little bit there. Um, they want to see how that's going to look. Um, yeah, but I, I think that don't just assume that this is going to be the same Bills offense in terms of a play-to-play down-and-distance uh, template uh, that we've seen under Brian Dable. I would expect some wrinkles. Any, any good team needs to come up with significant changes year-to-year to keep defenses guessing. So anyway, we were just talking about, you know, spreading the ball out and Josh Allen, which is uh, cool uh, if, if you're a Bills fan to see him go to five different receivers on his first five throws and um, how, how he sprays the ball around. Um, but um, we didn't see any design Josh Allen runs. Uh, we didn't. Uh, well, the, the fourth and the fourth and two conversion might have been a design run. I don't know. I Do think you think we'll see less of that this year because of you know, who Josh Allen is and his contract and trying to keep him healthy. I think the bills have wanted to do that less and less uh, already. And then they unleash it when they really need it postseason uh, or a specific game where they think they can exploit it against the defense. But um, especially two seasons ago, they went that long stretch where Josh Allen was running maybe four or five times a game, as opposed to 10 or 12. Uh, they really, uh, tap the brakes on him. And yeah, so as he gets older, I think that's that's the case. Things accumulate. He also he mentioned something when we we spoke last week for a story I'm working on that he expects teams to play a lot more zone against them. And I think as that happens, you might see fewer runs just because man coverage you know, when teams play heavy man coverage, you end up with guys with their backs turned to the quarterback and big chunks of yards are sitting out there. I think it's interesting that he has that that awareness that they're going to see more zone. And so you're going to see a lot of what you saw in that preseason game. Obviously, he won't be going against Green Bay's junior varsity, but a lot of let's sit back and make this guy take short throw after short throw after short throw and hope that he does what he did against the Titans last year, gets a little frustrated and tries to force one in because he gets impatient. Josh Allen's kind of mentally preparing for that already, knowing that that was 
a problem he had last year. And we've seen before when he has those, you know, like 2019 against the Patriots, when he has those games that stand out as bad games, like his worst game, he does really internalize it and try to overcorrect. And against the Patriots, it was the just throwing up dangerous throws. And against the Titans last year, it was just have, not having enough patience to go down the field. So the fact that he's showing a little bit of that, I wouldn't expect him to run in the preseason anyways. Um, but that is a way to combat running a lot too, is when you're like, all right, let's just hit these short throws, get the easy completions and have the patience and the maturity to frustrate a defense that way because the big plays will end up being there at some point, like they were with Gabriel Davis when it's there, take it. But if it's not, you know, don't try to get it all at once. He seems, that seems to be an emphasis for him. Before we go, I want to bring up uh, Thursday night, seven o'clock uh, UB opens its season against Wagner, which probably will look similar to green Bay's defense that it put on the field Saturday. Wagner played two games last year, two whole games. They lost by a combined score of 43 to seven. They're going to open up against a UB team that um, uh, should contend for a Mid-American Conference division title. Um, Jonah, it's not quite Bishop Sycamore uh, that they're going to be playing uh, on Thursday, but, uh, and we'll talk more about uh, UB uh, later in the week uh, on, a, on an upcoming podcast, but uh, any, any general thoughts on UB and the fact that it's a season opener is just a couple days away? Yeah, well, football-wise, I mean, it is probably going to be a bit, like a preseason game. As you mentioned with Wagner, they're not a good team to begin with. They're coming off a season where they didn't play very much. UB's favored by 48 and a half points, I think I saw in one line. And even with some new pieces and a new coaching staff and a lot of changes on that, you know, in the UB huddle, I don't think you're going to see them struggle too much in this first game. You're probably going to see the second and third stringers playing a lot in the second half. But in the past years, with past coaches in their first year, UB has struggled in this game against the FCS team early in the season. And sometimes that can be an indicator. They're probably going to win the game. But if they don't win the game going away, that could be something to be concerned about going forward. I think it is going to be a lopsided game. And as similar to you know what I mentioned with the Bills game, it is going to be the first time fans are back in the stands at UB in two years. They had this great season last year that the fans had to participate in from afar. Um, you know, well, this we is a stadium, to be, to be frank, this is a stadium that even two years ago is socially distanced uh, from right, the field. Right, right. This is yeah, the most yeah, socially yeah. distanced stadium yeah. in, uh, in sports. Right. But what I mean is that, you know, there was no fan support from the students or the community. They weren't allowed in the building last year. And now you have a different coach and some players have left, but a lot of the same players coming back. I'm curious to see how much of a kind of celebration of the program we'll see at this first game because the first game isn't always the best game competitively, but it's often the biggest crowd of the year and, and one of the bigger um, and feeling like a UB game is an event, even if it's not a marquee opponent. And then the next week they go and play Nebraska, which isn't one of the best power five teams in the country, but is a power five team and UB probably needs to get into a good rhythm going into that week. And a big tradition, the whole thing, Nebraska has a, 
still has a, a gravitas to it, um, even though it's been awful for the past. Yeah, I mean, that's a meaningful seasons. game for UB, whether Nebraska's uh, the program that they used to be or not. It would have been very intriguing if Lance Leifold was still the coach and, and you could be saying, you know, he wins that game and all of a sudden he's, uh, you know, on the short list to be the new Nebraska coach. Now that's not on the table. And, and the big thing with UB is, is Mo Linguist and his first game as the coach and the enthusiasm he's injected into the program. They had a big pep rally with the students last night and he's very uh, fan friendly and very out in the open and talkative. And I think that even if, there's maybe if there is a drop off in how the team plays on the field, I think they have an ability to still connect with the fans and be an exciting team to watch in different ways than they were last season. All right. Well, that's uh, seven o'clock Thursday night over at uh, UB stadium. I guess the other uh, date and time that I should reference uh, just for the sake of this podcast and those who may be wondering 4 PM Eastern time, Tuesday, is roster cut down time for the NFL. Everybody's got to get down to 53 and uh, we'll see how that sorts itself out for the Buffalo Bills. Also, maybe we should mention high school football comes back this weekend and and they did play last spring, but you could only have parents in in attendance. It wasn't really the same pageantry and having students and friends and family at the games and it wasn't in the fall. And, but also with, you know, Kids under 12 can't get vaccinated. I think I looked up yesterday that kids 12 to 18 are only 40% vaccinated, things like that. So there's, it's going to be interesting to see how high schools in general uh, play out at this stage in the pandemic and whether high school sports contribute to that or not. You know, there was a lot of talk a year ago about whether high school sports and college sports and professional sports should be played. Now everything's being played, and I'm curious to see how much of an issue the pandemic's still going to be at the high school level. Thanks again for listening to Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. Uh, I am Tim Graham of The Athletic. And for Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times and Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic, thank you for listening. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and is partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.